0: love this podcast support this show through the Acast supporter feature it's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment just hit the link in the show description to support now drum for the song podcast hello everybody this is another episode of drum for the song podcast i am your host dane campbell I'm very honored to introduce you to today's guest. It's the wonderful, amazing, talented Slim Jim Phantom. How's it going? It's going
1: great, buddy. How about you?
0: Yeah, not so bad. I'm a lot better now. You know, jam chatting to you today <laughs> it's been a fairly an eventful day. So, um thanks so much for making it great. Obviously, you're in LA. I'm I'm in rainy Wales, so it's almost my de- bedtime here and um so it must be nice uh, living it up in, in L.A. And you've been there oh,
1: for... i too, no problem. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, I'm sure you can. Yeah, man, but, uh, but thanks for doing this. Um, I'm sure the regular listeners are going to be looking forward to hearing what you've got to say. Sure. Um, you know, you're a very unique drummer. Um, and obviously we'll talk about that in a, in a little while. But for, first of all, we, I'd like to start with you explaining in to us and to me how you originally got into the drums?
1: Well, got into the drums. I think like everybody else, you, you 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 had that first moment. For me, I don't remember. I'm I'm too young for it to be a Beatles moment or a Led Zeppelin moment. I'm I'm not that old, but it was a moment of seeing it on on television. Knowing my parents had a few records around, from Hank Williams to a big band. So they had Bert Backrack records. I think there was even a first. Um, Beatles record, that would have been maybe a gag gift someone gave my mother, but she liked it, she was pretty hip, and this would have been the early 60s, and um, late 60s, and um, I just knew that I wanted to do it, if you saw television, the band appearing on television, on the Johnny Carson show, or Saturday afternoon, American Bandstand type shows, you just kind of thought it was something that you wanted to do. I even though if I had a favorite band yet or a favorite drummer. I really knew what it was. But I saw someone play guitar, saw someone play a piano, saw someone sing, saw someone play a saxophone. And I didn't think I could do that. I saw someone playing the drums, and I thought I could do that. And um, that results in bugging everybody enough to let you take some lessons and get some sticks with the practice pad, learning some rudiments, evolving into your first decent little drum kit. Involving with practicing along to all the songs popular songs of the day who's ever records you had i had a few cousins who were rock and roller so we'd uh, we'd always uh have one sunday at at a different relative's house and i would go home with one album i was allowed to borrow from f- um, from one of my cousins and then i'd bring it back next sunday to wherever else we meet at a different answer i would bring one record back and take another one so it was um that's pretty much how I got into it, and whatever records they had is what I learned. Whether it was Billy Joel or um, or Aerosmith, or you know, have any records, so you brought my dad. Hank uh, had a Hank Williams record play, try to play along to that. So anything really, and to practice the rudiments, and to by this time you're old enough to be in school. And there was a few guys in school, being one one being Lee from the Stray Hats that we were able to practice along with, and he had a friendly garage. And his parents encouraged it that's great it just really started from there with without ever really knowing what you wanted to do you knew you wanted to do that somehow
0: yeah i think that seems to be a common yeah kind of goal of a lot of musicians especially at a young age they see it on the tv or hear it on the radio and and i think it seems to be more common with drummers the mm. the physical and the visual idea and this thing of someone hitting hello out of a drum kit—it's just yeah. addictive, isn't it? It is. <laughs> sure, it is. And um, yeah, yeah, it's cool. That's it's great. It's a great story. So, I know you—you you know, there's there's a lot of history about this, and you've talked about it a lot. But could you talk about the formation of the Stray Cats then?
1: Sure. The Stray Cats were—all um, of us were—were were those guys in school that that did play. We all took lessons. We're all very, um, we're in the school band. Um, Brian played, uh, um, the baritone horn, which is like a small, uh, tuba. Lee ah. he played cello. I played French horn. Wow. And all of us had the, had, had our rock and roll instruments on the side. Brian played guitar, Lee played bass, and I played a drum kit. And, uh we were all in varying bands lee and i mainly together because we're the same age brian was two older than us right which like you know especially with brothers two years difference now it doesn't mean anything but when you're 11 and when you're 13 that's when it makes a big difference absolutely yeah so when we were about it must have been about 17 brian was about 19 we all were doing the same thing at the same time lee Lee and I were from, I guess, a bit more of a blues background, as, you, as much as you can be from a blues background in Long Island. <laughs> yeah. We loved uh, um, uh, Muddy Waters and The Wolfman and T-Bone Burnett. And mainly that came through listening to, say, the Beatles and the, uh, the Allman Brothers band, what, uh, who wrote the songs, T-Bone uh, 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 uh Uh, you'd see T-Bone Walker. You'd see McKinley Morganfield, who, of course, is Muddy Waters. Like, all these names. Statesboro Blues was um, Willie McTell. You find, and you just seek out the original versions of these songs, and by the time it got to, say, The Beatles and The Stones, and you're checking who's C. Berry, who's C. Perkins, who's E. Cochran. (laughs) Yeah. Who's... uh, who's all these original artists, you start finding out about Roy Orbison, um, Buddy Holly, Gene Vincent, Jerry Lee Lewis. A few of them were on what would have been the oldie station, but it was very much like um, you might hear Blueberry Hill or a few of the um, old doo-wop songs, which we love. But um, when we started to hear the original Eddie Cochran and Buddy Holly songs and see there was a group, and then you eventually get led to the original recordings of Elvis Presley on the Sun Sessions, and that's when it really completely kicked in that we should be doing this. No one's doing this. It's the greatest music ever. It's got all the elements that we love. We liked getting tooled up. We liked um, music that was complicated enough, but not quite prog. Yeah, we liked um, playing the blues, but we didn't like it as traditional as, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, something like bb king we 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 want it to be more rock and roll than that yeah uh, so rockabilly became the perfect foil for all the things that we wanted it rocked hard but it had a swing because we all had studied jazz it had a rock it had a swing you had to be pretty good to play and it was different And you got to dress up along with it. Like, we cut all our hair off. had big big hair cuffs, bowling shirts, pink, pink pants, blue suede shoes, the whole thing. This would have been 1979 on Long Island. Quite quite a sight to behold. And um, we just stuck to our guns, and we just really loved it and played all the traditional rock clubs that the, um, uh, you know, the regular rock bands, either original rock or covers rock, songs of the day so imagine whatever 1978 79 on long island it would have been leonard skinnard the black sabbath led zeppelin peter frampton doobie brothers allman brothers you know all that kind of 70s guitar driven rock Clapton. yeah so we didn't fall in that category and yet we weren't punk or new wave so we couldn't play the three places that were for that, we were a completely different thing. So we wound up making our own scene, playing what we would call old man bars. You guys would call them pubs kind of thing that they didn't usually have live music. And we had a PA, three amp, two amps, my little drum kit. And we thought that would be a cool thing to just, we uh, approach the bartenders, who are usually the, the bar owners. We'll pack in the place. You keep the door, uh, bar, we keep the door we had a gang of around a hundred kids who just loved us. And would come to see us play in the garage when we practiced. They weren't rockabilly kids. They were just kids that latched on to us. We were their scene. They were our scene. So, um, and they they just came with us to these various bars that we played. Wow. Yeah. So that was our little scene. But we played five days a week, four sets a night. So we got very good at it. Wow. We knew everybody' holly song. We knew every Carl Perkins song. We knew every Jerry Lee Lewis song. We knew every Eddie Cochran song. So. It was quite a good chance to get
0: good at it. Yeah, and a lot of time on stage, which is mm-hmm. what people need, really, to kind of master the craft, I suppose. Um, exactly. So, so were you still in school at this point, or had you just left? Or uh,
1: It was at the very end. I was still in school and leading into when we got out of school. Brian had already left school. Uh, Lee was about to leave, and I was about to graduate. So um, we uh, we did it at night and then i uh, school was very much at, after that because this would have been towards the um this would have been 1979 and i had just finished with school then wow
0: and amazing and then eventually you made your way over to the uk i believe or to england more specifically or yeah. london and kind of yeah. did did the same thing there eventually and and you got picked up by record label and yeah. and the rest is history i suppose
1: <laughs> yeah. What happened in England is we thought it was really cool, and we would get, say, NME or six months later kind of thing from some one record store that had that kind of stuff in the city. And they, they had an article about Teddy Boys, I think, one time, and we thought, oh, it'd be so cool. A, we were expecting everyone to be that way. So we um, made a choice, which I don't know if I'd recommend to anyone else as a plan, but we um, we sold the equipment, gave up our flat that we had had. That was it. We spent the last few you know, dollars from the last few gigs to buy um, one way tickets, mm-hmm. and wound up in London. And that was and it became. Well, you said it was a good idea. No, you said it was a good idea. No, you said it was good. <laughs> so became just. I think we had a little bit of money. We somehow got to the middle of the city, which we wouldn't even know where the middle of the city was. and quickly ran out of money at um, uh, you know, B&Bs kind of thing. And um, you know, we started sleeping rough. Hyde wow. Park, summertime 1980. Wow. Met up with a few people who would who would let us crash, Sid and Nancy style on their, on their squat houses. And we just kept going out. Anything that was for free, or someone said said you should tag along to, nothing too glamorous, but just events in London was London was happening back then. Just walk up and down Kings Road or Kensington Market or Camden, just be seen in those places, and we just knocked on enough doors. This lasted about three, three, four, or five months, and finally we got to be fourth on the bill at the uh, at the Greyhound or the or the Golden Lion, or the uh, Thomas A. Beckett Pub, or the <laughs> Marquis, or Dingwalls, or, um, you know, there was that handful of places that were kind of pub pub rock places. And um, we rolled the dice enough times that we were allowed to go on fourth, like I say, you go on at four o'clock in the afternoon for 20 minutes. And we had been playing quite a lot in New York. We hadn't lost our chops, we were still young. and The people that we had been seeing around were people like Lammy, people like Strummer, Chrissy Hine, um, who was friends with Ray Davies, so uh, all the scenesters from then, Uh, Spider from the Pogues, uh, a lot of the Motorcycle Club guys who Uh, lived with Lem. Right. Okay. And uh, uh, there was a clash of Sex Pistol Adam, The Pretender, like most of the shows, and and the few hipsters in London whose job it always was to find the next best thing. Right. After us, there was probably something else two months later, right? But, um, uh, but at those early shows, it was 20 people, but they were all kind of well-known in a funny way. And um, when they saw us actually play, the whole other story, here's these guys with big mouths and wear pink jackets and who talk talk a lot. So when they gave us the one, two, three, go... We're standing on the drum. He's playing behind his head. We're spinning the bass. We're jumping into the... Like, we could do it. Yeah. And that attracted certain attention. By the second, third show, we were packing out these little pubs. And in London, you know, back then, it was a very small place. As big as it is, it was small. So record companies start to hear it. People wanted to, uh, to get around it. And Dave Edmonds came. Ah. He wanted to produce it. And at the same time, when there was one record company that was particularly into it, they were ready to go, and Edmonds was ready to go. So this would have been in, uh, we got there in June of 1980, and we were in the studio, they got us a little flat to live in, in the studio, found Edmonds, agreed to him, we already had 100 adventures um, in December 1980, ready to go. So six months of pretty much living rough, and and we made the first record. We went on the first night. We did Runaway Boys with Edmonds. That's amazing. That's amazing. And
0: that just shows that
1: your hard work
0: did pay off eventually. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of other people and bands may have given up before getting to that point. If you, if you were oh, sleep, yeah. sleeping rough for weeks on end and and stuff like that. So, no, hats off to you. And obviously you had a great career. You're still kind of doing stuff every now and again as far as I'm aware. Um Obviously, the pandemic hasn't helped all, all this stuff, but i don't want to talk about that too much um but yeah i it's, it's an amazing story and yeah, yeah like and you were just so um, unique at a time from what I from what it sounds like yeah and,
1: and your dad was there he was there. he was he, he yeah. <laughs> old, yeah, all the motorhead guys were there um, yeah, i mean cool. was my i was there at the the last the last breath, you know yeah. um Yes, yeah well i was going uh, uh, to
0: ask i was going to ask you about that because you you were kind of neighbors with lemmy
1: right or yeah pretty much yeah exactly yeah. wow and uh, um he and i had maintained a very strong friendship in england right right when the stray cats happened i was at uh no sleep to hammersmith i was at that show and oh wow uh, then we just continued to stay friends always and um, to now go out, he and I were the ones that liked to go out. And, um, and then uh, the Stray Cats came back to the States, 1982. Right. So then I would see him when I went to L.A. or when when he came, when I would go to London or when he would come to L.A. And then uh, he moved to L.A. And I think the late part of the 80s or the early part of the 90s. Yeah. And, um, and just where he happened to move was right Behind where I lived, where I would already lived for ten years. That's amazing. And, um So that just increased our friendship right there. But the um so we spent a lot of time together. We played some shows. We made those couple of headcat albums. Yeah, we had a very uh, very special friendship. Yeah. Well,
0: it's obviously everyone is still. It's been over well, five years now, and yeah, everyone's still so just misses him so much everyone in the yeah. industry and, and and the fans and i exactly I, you know we've lost a few others this year unfortunately as well but um i think in the rock world at least i think very few people are, are ever going to be missed as much as as, as lemmy and obviously you were actually very good friends with him it must be even worse for people like you that actually had friendships close friendships with him so yeah i'm sorry you know sorry man but um yeah, yeah that's a he had a good run, yeah, yeah, he did. Have, he did have a good run, and yeah. Look, so, like, for people who don't know about Headcat, so that was kind of a, a, I suppose, a, would you call it a side
1: project? Uh, or, yeah, yeah. For both of you, I suppose. It turned into a side project. It turned into Danny Harvey and myself. Were uh, we got a job to produce an Elvis tribute record, right? For, for a label. And so we gathered up a few friends of ours to each do an Elvis track. And a couple and I, Danny, did as an in- instrument. It was basically just make a record that's a tribute to Elvis and find a few friends on it. And since I'd known Lem for so long and I knew, I knew Lem was really at heart a rockabilly. His yeah. favorite was Buddy Holly and Little Richard. And he loved it. So, And I knew how he felt about Elvis. So I... Organized a session that would be Lem, Danny, who d- did the record with me, and Johnny Ramone, who's my other dearest friend, who was um, who, who was an Elvis fan as well. He had already retired, John. I think the Ramones had did their farewell, Adios Amigos, uh, gig a few years before that. John was just he was retired, Uh he just retired. He went by his pool, he went to restaurants, he uh he had nothing to do with it. And um I asked him to do it. He had he had known Lemmy. So we went and did one track. Uh we did um Good Rockin' Tonight. Ah, oh, cool. From from the Sun Sessions. And of course we did it in like one take. And John said, Okay, I'm finished now. And he just left. <laughs> Okay. He borrowed the guitar and he left. He was done. And that was that. We had an eight-hour session or whatever and we, we used half an hour of it. So Lem said, "Let's. what about trying to get to you? Do you know that one? What about Stuck on You? What about the Heartbreak Hotel? And yeah, we know those ones. I know that one. So we just continued to use the rest of the session – we got two done. You know Had us with Lem. You know, we hung around a lot. Somebody played pool. Someone got pizza. Someone found a, found a Pac-Man machine. And <laughs> we it, you know. So we had such a good time. We said, why don't we come back tomorrow? We have to die from the studio. We book tomorrow. Uh, no, we're free tomorrow. So we went back in. And we just did this enough times till we had an album. So we turned in the um, Elvis Tribute record that was done because I think John and Lem were the last thing that we had done on that. And then we just went straight into really doing a new album of of these seemingly out of left field songs for Lem, Eddie Cochran, Buddy Holly, yeah. uh, maybe Gene Vincent, uh, Chuck Berry, which to me, I had already had that education that it makes more sense to me that Rick Wakeman was a punk rock guy. Was he? <laughs> <People> <laughs> ate- Found kind that of hard to believe, but like Chris Squire loved uh loved Rockabilly. I mean, by that time I had already had my education in that, knowing that these guys loved that music and that Black Sabbath and or Motorhead wasn't wasn't made in a vacuum. They yeah. had influences. Absolutely The Beatles, Let Me Love Jerry Lee Lewis. It's, you know, very, very clear to me by that time in my life. So we continued to make this Rockabilly based record. And then that was it. We did some gigs whenever we could during Motorhead's brutal brutal schedule. It was yep. usually February and March that they were not working. Yeah, that's about right. That's when I got to see my dad. Yeah. <laughs> exactly at the same time. So that's when <laughs> Latin would come back and we would uh do do gigs. Uh and one of those years we made another album for Wendy Dio, who I'm sure is a family friend of yours. Yeah, yeah. And um, so she had a label by that time. And we made a proper album with Wendy and with um, uh, another pal of yours, I'm sure, Cameron Webb. Oh, yeah, of course. Great. So so we did that album, and then we toured as much as we could. And then, and then things got very busy for, you, for, for your guys. And then... And then the end. <laughs> came. Uh, right. So, it's, what
0: was what was the last kind of run of shows
1: that you did? When when were they? Um, when were the shows? Maybe two years before Lem went. Oh right. Really? Okay. So okay. But the shows were getting as they were with you guys. I do think you know a little bit harder for him to do. Yeah. Sometimes they didn't last as long as. Yeah. The they contract.
0: Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, you know, it, you know as as the age you know as the age increased it did you know seem to be more of a struggle for him and and stuff yeah. like that. But um you know, he, he still the whole point is what makes him a legend is that he was still trying and yeah, giving his all. For him. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, there's there's a few albums available, there's live albums. I I've noticed um cuz so I, I checked it out on Spotify. And so people can buy physical copies of this stuff if they
1: want. I think now Wendy, um, I know has done a deal with, um, with, uh, Lems estate that I think that they're coming out. Okay. There were two studio albums that are, are available. So I think folks can find those. And the, um, I think the live one was a record that we did in Berlin and then two other ones that we did home recording, um, well, live mobile, Paul Paul Kilmister recorded them, and um, Danny, I think Cameron was there to help, ah. so there, there'll there be two of those, and one that's a very, very proper HD, um, uh, good quality sound from Huxley's in Berlin. Oh, that'll be amazing. Oh, I can't yeah, wait, can't wait, can't wait to see that. Because I know we've done recently a lot of uh, agreements for it, and paperwork and all that. Oh, ah, cool. Okay, well,
0: listeners, listen up for that announcing soon i'm sure you'll be telling everyone about it on your social medias and stuff and, and all that people will know about it hi i hope you're enjoying this episode of drum for the song i just wanted to briefly interrupt the interview to tell you about my patreon page which is a place where you can support the podcast and of course support myself you can um sign up to one of the three tiers on there there's one that's three pounds a month one that is five pounds a month and one that is ten pounds a month there are loads and loads of exclusive benefits to signing up including bonus episodes merch discounts christmas card for myself um if you sign up to the top tier i'll send you a pair of my drumsticks um loads of other stuff so go check it out it's patreon.com forward slash drum for the song and um another way you could support me if you're interested if you're not bothered about the patreon thing if you go to my official website drum for the song.com you can send a donation via paypal so um yeah thanks for watching this and enjoy the rest of the show drum
1: for the Song podcast
0: one thing that i haven't addressed yet for anyone who hasn't seen you play is the the kind of standing up thing so um um, jim plays drums standing up in quite a unique way so how how, what obviously you i assume when you learned you learned sitting down on like a more conventional kit so what kind of changed what made you change to the standing up style was it
1: well that had to do with the straight cats because we had all studied properly and still now if i'm doing a session or no one 's looking um, <laughs> to play um, and there was a stray cats we had really had a concept that we wanted to uh, we wanted to to be completely different We wanted to present a rock band as it hadn 't been seen before, and we had saw some old photographs, which I found out later that it was purely photographs that the um, that the blue caps would stand up Gene Vincent and the blue caps. That Dicky Harrell, his drummer, would stand ah. and um, do the show, or do some songs, do a song. Or, but what we wanted to do was take the whole idea of a conventional rock band and throw it out the window, and move the drums to the front of the stage. Because even in bands where there was a the leader was a drummer, was maybe off to the side or maybe slightly behind, even Buddy Rich or like a big band orchestra, they were still behind and slightly towards the and even when they were in the middle, towards the front, there was usually something in front of them or around them. There wasn't a traditional rock band set up where the drums were across the front.
0: No, I, I imagine that there wasn't. Yeah, we yeah.
1: That we had seen before. Yeah, There's archaeological evidence, and someone could prove me wrong at this point. <laughs> in the last 40 years, it's been... um it, So we played so much we had so much opportunity to tinker around all those bars that we did and we just said okay let's try it this now let's try it like this so eventually pretty early on we hit on a on a good formula and i'm left-handed so if brian wanted to jump on the drum it wouldn't have worked so that's why it's on the side that it is i'm i'm on stage right because i'm left-handed so he can go and stand on the drum without having to walk all the way around ah so um so a few of the things worked out from a necessity and some of that we just we just wanted to be completely different. We didn't want to be able to be compared to any other traditional rock group. So uh, you had to learn how to play standing up and we mm-hmm. took to it very quickly. You have to sacrifice being able to <laughs> your hi-hat. But um, besides that, you can pretty much do anything. Just a little harder on your knees and you got to... Um get your balance right <laughs> so, yeah I imagine
0: it must be pretty exactly. it's difficult to kind of get the bass drum going without you know and to get a, like a nice action on the pedal and stuff must be difficult because yeah it's just learning how to do that yeah. you you must have your the way your leg muscles are must be different to every other drummer yeah <laughs> it yeah. must be they must kind of be strong in places where other people's aren't and stuff like that that's crazy yeah, my
1: right knee is taking the most beating because I'm left handed so that's the one that you have to plant kind of ah yeah
0: now well obviously there's loads of footage of you out there obviously so if anyone wants to check it out and I I actually watched it was like a a tuition video that you must have done in the early 90s for DW yeah Uh, and I, I watched that the other day it's on YouTube someone's put it on YouTube and um I you know just to kind of find out a little bit more and it was really cool and you look so cool in it and it was funny and um but yeah check that out and you know you're teaching people how to do the the swing and and it was really interesting i think for any drummer or any especially rock drummers that maybe have never really played a swing or or like a blue shuffle or or anything like that i think it was a it was a really interesting useful video for, for for anyone so go check that out guys and um yeah totally unique style um and get you get the watch you play standing up, and the kit sounded great and all that. But yeah, that's that's all on online and pretty cool that you kind of did that. Do you remember filming it?
1: Like, sure. yeah, I very well. Because my buddy Carmine Appice, who was one of my menteo- mentors, was ah. forced behind that. That was his company that made the videos, right? Okay, Power Rock Enterprises. That's that was, that was Carmine Appice, who was the first drummer that I ever met in my life. When he did a clinic in my old neighborhood in New York, and I went to it and um, he might have been in uh, cactus or vanilla fudge or one of those kind of bands back then and and I was really just the guy that wanted to it was the first time I ever met a professional rock musician right. not a guy who played at weddings or not a guy who like wanted to be in a band or was really because where we lived there was quite a lot of good musicians you know, but here was a guy that got out from the old neighborhood and went on tour. He was like he Yeah toured the world. He was on Ed Sullivan Show. He was on like he like done things and I asked some questions in the front row and he was like really, really cool. I was less interested in like learning the double kick pattern from his book, which I had studied realistic right. rock in, in my lessons than i was to find out about man what's it like to like go to go to europe <laughs> i was more interested in that part of it than the than the technical all all these one of my favorite drummers coming but after the uh the clinic he like stood and talked for 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 a long time and it was right next door to the long island drum center this was there was a there was a pizza place and took me, got a piece of pizza. I just talking a mile a minute, asking about questions. Like, now, how do you get the equipment from your house to the gig? Well, we have a, we have a bus kid and then there's a truck driver. Wait a minute. Someone sets up the drums for you and takes it to the, you know, I was like, I was 15 probably. Yeah. Uh, I was just so intrigued with every angle of it. And that was it. You know, he had to leave to do his next thing. He was going on tour with the, uh, somebody Somebody. and then not even that long after that two three years after that three three years i ran into him out you know as you run into people on the road he didn't remember because i had long hair at the time when i met him i said that's me that went to the long island drum center and asked you all those questions we had a piece of pizza things worked out for you right yeah and he's he's been my friend ever since really i stay in touch with him and he was Kind of like a mentor in a funny way. So. Amazing. Yeah. And I, I think
0: from what I understand about Carmine, I'm, I, I want to get him on the show soon, actually. Um, right. I've had his brother, Vinny, on. Um, but yeah, he was like one of the first drummers that was a star in his own right. Yeah. And like, you know, his name was on the kick drum and all, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it was his kind of, I remember the little cartoon logo of his face and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, he was the star. And yeah. I think maybe that, I don't know if that influenced you. Because you were in the straight catchy you were all stars. You like like, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, you were, you were at the front of the stage. You're all equal. So I, I imagine, yeah, he must have been a big influence at that, especially
1: at that time. Yeah, as he well, had time and answered you like a kid that you know, was kind, of, kind of bugging you with questions, <laughs> but for <laughs> a better thing. And he was happy to, cool. he was happy to talk. And I I think that's a very important thing. Um, you know, Motorhead all had had that. Phil Taylor had that you know, Lamb, of course. And it's the hardest thing to do is we call it making up your guy, you know, and to have a, to have someone that's all the Ramones say had that, and to have a identifiable character, which is pretty much, it has to be organic. I think if you set out to do it, it's almost impossible. Yes. It's going to naturally unfold, but that's a good point about Carmine. And I, I, I can see that Ringo, of course, the, most
0: yeah yeah
1: in the case of that but um that that is a kind of a i don't know career goal i guess like you got to be able to play great you got to look great but you also have to have that little extra thing character Yeah.
0: yeah the spark of the character yeah if you to be a big star like that yeah no really interesting really interesting um if you don't mind I got a, I've got a Patreon page which I know you have as well so I was going to plug that for you. Sure. You so you've got a it's a Patreon only podcast from what I understand. Yes. So yeah, so anyone who wants to check that out um can can check yours out and sign sign up and listen
1: to your yeah. podcast which sounds interesting and it's I mean, we do a lot of good stuff on Patreon we do podcasts you know a couple times a month and I I go into my real deep bin of photographs so they're not the photographs that everyone knows and sees on instagram or or twitter patreon we have a we have a nice uh nice relationship with our patreon people it's very yeah. Exclusive, so
0: yeah it's, it's likewise with mine it's it's really great to ca- actually get to know them and
1: mm-hmm. uh, and
0: stuff like that so, but, but one of the perks of mine is that they get to ask you my guest questions so i've got a, a few questions right, sure. if you don't mind um one of them was from Yari in Finland. He said, how did you meet Lemmy? You've already kind of discussed that. So, sorry. Sorry, Yari. Oh, cool. You met him yeah. in L- at a pub in London, probably. <laughs> uh, one, one of per- Paul Hutchins, do you actually like cats?
1: Yes. I've, um, I have five cats. All Five? rescued ones. They, We live in the city, but a little bit isolated. You know, LA could be right smack in the middle of the city, but have a little bit of woods around your house, but you're right smack in the middle. And they go and they hunt and they climb trees and they, they bring me back little gifts all the time.
0: Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Amazing.
1: That's good to hear. There's
0: kind of a joke question, I think, from, yeah. from what he said, but that's good, that's good to know. That's really, that's amazing. I like cats as well. Um, and his next question, has playing standing up for all these years helped avoid some of the back injuries or complaints that many drummers suffer? Do you, do you think um,
1: maybe you got to avoid a few back issues from leaning over in your neck but for those ones that you saved you definitely got ones that affected your knees more
0: yeah Now that makes sense yeah obviously we mentioned that earlier but yeah it, it is certainly interesting I've, I've suffered with oh, sho- sh- shoulder Absolutely. and neck problems and stuff
1: so. yeah but no it's, it's a cool one no one and, um, gets out unscathed yeah exactly um and I've,
0: I've got another one i'm cheating here he's not he's not one of my patrons but he's a ma- he's li- literally the local rockabilly hero in, in south wales where i live it, um, his name is james oliver he's got a band called the james oliver band and um i mentioned to him the other day that i was um speaking to you and he he was pretty excited he's a big fan of well, he's obviously a huge fan of rockabilly. Billy, um, So he wants to know who your favorite rockabilly
1: drummers are or were. Uh, my favorite rockabilly drummers, uh, one I just saw not that recently, um, not not too far in the past, uh, uh, Dickie Harrell, who played with Gene Vincent in the Blue Caps. That's him on bebop a oh. And I went to his home. He lives in Norfolk, Virginia. And I, I make pilgrimages and I go out and see these guys. And someone who just passed away was a cat named Charlie Connor, who played with Little Richard, and it was he that came up with bajajin, bajin, 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 biam, biam. You keep the knocking, but you can't in. Who Who John John Bonham... cha 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 It's been a long time since I cha oh It's the same. And John Bonham was happy. And I I saw Jason uh, maybe a week ago, oh, wow. and we would talk because I told him Charlie Connor had passed, who would, who was another re- deep pal of mine. But it wasn't headline news, you know. <laughs> he was ninety years old, but I stayed close to them. So Jason sent his condolences, and yeah, my dad definitely got it from from that, you know. Yeah. He's the first guy confirmation. Charlie Connor, I knew very well. Um, a, a Dickie Harrell. I knew DJ Fontana very well. He he of course played played with Elvis and and just recently Charlie Watts, who was our pal, loved, loved rock and roll, rockabilly blues music. Yeah. Yeah,
0: no, great. Thanks for that. And um my, my dad asked this got a question for you, which is unusual. Um, how loud did Lemmy play in headcat?
1: <laughs> really loud. Yeah, I imagine. <laughs> sound checks, ask Phil about the sound checks. I think he even made the movie that time. It was the, the sound checks were even louder because oh, there was mate. no people there to soak up the noise. Yeah, I imagine that's crazy. And doing these clubs, and I, I did Cat Club with Lambie, places like that where it was so. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I, I had always walked around with cotton Really in my ear you know what i mean so it's got to be done yeah it's got to be done I yeah, had them- he, he did play loud phil you know the answer <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah thanks for that i i, I re- remember being on tour when i was i think it was in my early 20s and i accidentally walked past um well i walked on stage past lemmy's bass cabs and in front of his monitors while the bass text was like testing the bass, and it just kept, it was it was like an explosion in my head. Um, i like being a drummer, I'm obviously used to volume, but that was another level of pain and craziness. I don't know how he did and it. Has it anyone so
1: seen seen um, Tim Butcher since then? He's probably lost his mind, right? The hearing caught up to him. <laughs> well, that's where I was on about Tim Butcher. Yeah, I'm, I think yeah he's still around.
0: I think he's still doing things. Um, I haven't personally seen him for a few years, but I think he came to one of our our shows because I'm, I'm, sure. I'm in a band with my dad now i, I yeah. assume you were away yeah, the, the bastard yeah, yeah. sons so i think he was I at a show
1: the
0: yeah we 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 actually played well it was me and my brothers played the cat club
1: yeah
0: um as a i don't know i think we we played a few songs warming yeah. up for someone else years ago when we were visiting so yeah that was cool man so thanks yeah. for allowing us do that um but yeah that was that was a good experience actually yeah. i never managed to get the tour of the u.s or or anything like that. Hopefully, one day we can. But
1: yeah, Ooh. that was my
0: small, more my small taster of playing in the US. But um, no that's, that's awesome, man. So what, obviously, we've talked about Lem. Have you got any really f- like favorite memories of of Lemmy?
1: All just the kind of, I guess, the more mundane ones. Trying to get him rallied while the car was double parked, and he's you know watching TV or <laughs> like couldn't find one of his boots or something, and you know. Dude, we're double parked on a major street. We got to drive to San Francisco right now. And it's, you know, those kind of ones, you know. And, um, and just the, just really the quiet moments of he, he and I in the back of the tour bus. We, uh, I think maybe you guys were in Germany or, I can't remember if it was a Motorhead or maybe he and my own. We had the back lounge of a bus. We just went through, you know, Beatles, uh first album to last album. You know, we started with, uh, Please, please me, and went all the way to uh, you know Abbey Road, whatever you <laughs> like, A to yeah. Z, um, and yeah, just just those kind of quiet moments. He and I, just alone in the car, doing Fleetwood Mac. You take uh, Christine's uh, Harmony part, and I'll take uh, <laughs> just <laughs> along the radio and sitting in the dressing rooms. Really, that's really the, the most, and of course, the shows and the moments that were more well, well publicized but just the you know the quieter moments i remember yeah well never quiet but the the less known moments
0: yeah just the chilling out hanging out together kind of moments and yeah, yeah. that's great that's great to hear and i think yeah i think my dad feels the same really i think um, sure you know just yeah, so many hours on tour buses together you know so exactly very, right. very lucky um yeah so with, with regards to we normally talk a little bit about your
1: equipment your gear that you're currently using. Sure.
0: So, what brands are you using at the moment?
1: Um, I have pretty much for the longest time used Gretsch. Fred Gretsch is my friend, and um, all of my endorsements were are. I had to find them. They were in like deep storage, mm. typewritten, typewritten paper with the sign at the bottom. My my drum one signed by Fred Gretsch. My my sticks signed by Vic Firth, and wow. my my uh endorsement for my symbols assigned by Avidus Zildjian on wow. <laughs> And um I I just I've been around a long time with that and found my found my three brands and had lifetime endorsement deals with the three. Yeah. And then I was asked okay I use D W pedals because John Good's my friend and Fred didn't care Fred Gretsch didn't care. So my one deals for DW uh, pedals, Gretsch Drums, Siljan symbols, Vic Firth sticks. Always awesome.
0: Yeah, so that's, that's good. I, I, I like it when I hear drummers kind of just stick because there's so many drummers that just change every year and I, I don't understand that. I, I, it's just like you're chasing the, the best deal or whatever's free and I'm like well just use what you like if you can get a deal with a company, great and once you find what you like, why do you need to change? <laughs> completely. Yeah, that's great. And, and one, one thing I did see you mention is that I don't know if you still do it when you used to kind of jump up and down on your bass drum, you still have to like reinforce it, right?
1: Yeah. That's still done. Yeah. It's still done. It's like I used with the stray cats. We, we
0: have a little brace inside of there. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you don't want to be jumping up and down on your, your kind of thin maple shell bass drum or whatever <laughs> you've got. <laughs> but, uh,
1: but I think you would bow the shell and so, the, so the head wouldn't fit, probably crack the drum, yeah. but also, I mean, if it breaks and you're standing on it, yeah. I see. I see your chin and your head face going right into the ride cymbal. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: don't don't try this at home, folks. Unless you've got a one exactly. of uh, Jim's old drum kits. But um, <laughs> no, that's cool, man. Um, yeah, uh, what else was I was going to ask you about? Really, I oh, just very briefly. Then, so very important in your playing is the shuffle. So, yeah. what for someone who's never played a shuffle before? And they need what? What kind of techniques do they need? Is there any particular stick techniques that you use to kind of achieve that? Kind of, is like finger for technique the
1: shuffle is for sure. You can't, you can't hold the stick like like Grim Death. You can't hold on to it like a. You got to have a lot of a lot of room. Yeah, a lot of room, and your... I think you're almost holding the stick with just your your thumb and your forefinger, and it lays in your palm, and you need your. Your other three, your middle finger, your ring finger, and your pinky, to kind of create the bounce enough to play the shuffle, yeah, that makes and, sense, and, and I think it's just to give your give your stick and and your hand enough room to breathe, you know you know a guy like Nico McBain would be great to look at his technique for something like that, you know what I mean he's got a lot of uh work on his symbol going he does a lot of eighths, but it's the same thing where you have to have the sticks got to have room to move yeah i agree with that totally yeah
0: no that's that's really good advice so um yeah i think a lot of people are guilty of holding the sticks too tight and mm-hmm. i think that's what can create i guess you more chances of you more chance of getting blisters that way and things like that and so that, i think yeah yeah and yeah and yeah just yeah just just use your fingers more, definitely. And then any
1: wrist, let them do the work. The stick's there as a tool. You know, the stick by itself can't do anything. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: No, that's really good advice, man. Um, thank you very much. So uh yeah, just, just before we finish up, I've got a quick uh quick fire round that I do with everyone, just so people yeah. kinda of random questions so people get to know you a bit more. Uh, well, I think I know the answer to this. Do you like hot or cold weather? Pretty, hot weather. Pretty I obvious. No, you don't like cold weather. Living in LA, uh, luckily you're in the right place. Um, Daytime or nighttime?
1: Nighttime. Yep.
0: Sweet or savory? Savory. Okay. Guitar or bass? Bass. Nylon or wood tip drumsticks? Nylon. John Bonham or Neil Peart? Oh. Sorry to ask this
1: one. I think, I think Pierre, because I just get blown away every time I see something.
0: Okay, fair enough, fair
1: enough. Both amazing guys. On him, amazing I can almost guy. work out what he's doing. I can't do it, but I kind of can figure out what it is. Pierre, yeah. I, I just have no idea. Yeah, that's <laughs> As I would watch, you know. You know, some wonder of nature. I have no idea how it's happening. It just is.
0: Yeah, I I, I, I kind of feel the same way, actually. With yeah, with Bonham, you can kind of break it down and kind of figure it out eventually. Uh, okay, uh, Beatles or Rolling Stones? Stones. Okay. Clear or coated drum heads? Coated. Big or small venue? Big. And I've slightly amended this one. Favourite time signature to play other than 4-4? Uh, uh, five, five,
1: five or seven. Five, I think is good. Cool. Yeah, five is good. Cool. Oh, nice. That's a good one. Yeah, that's nice. Nice.
0: Yeah, awesome, man. Um, that's that's fantastic. Um, Thanks for... For doing this, really, um, I can't, I can't wait to get it out and for people to hear it. Um it's a pleasure to meet you. Hopefully, you know, we'll get to meet in person one day. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, we'll let you know if we ever come across, and if you ever come to Wales for any strange reason, <laughs> or play, play Cardiff yeah. or somewhere one day, because that's we're, we're quite close to Cardiff. Give us a shout and we'll, we'll come and see you. Um, yeah. So my very last kind of question that kind of grills everyone: if you could create your own dream band with yourself on drums, I guess in this situation, I would say without using any other guys from the Stray Cats or Head Cat, who would you have playing the other instruments with you?
1: I'd like Bill Wyman on bass. Cool. Well, uh, I mean,
0: Dead or Alive as well. Anyone Dead or Alive?
1: Little Richard is your singer. Nice. Uh. Maybe Charlie Parker is your sax player. Nice. And uh, Elvis Presley is your singer. Push Richard to the piano once in a while. Oh, yeah. <laughs> guitar player Cliff Gallup from Gene Vincent and the Blue Caps. Oh, that's awesome. That's
0: a very unique uh, kind of collection of guys compared to what most people say. They say the Freddie Mercury and. Uh, slash or whatever <laughs> so yeah that's cool man that's great um well yeah i'll i'll let you go i know you've got other things on um just yeah thanks again for doing it oh, of um, course Thanks you man really nice to meet you and all that um v- v- virtually i suppose and one one thing I, I did hear on another interview that you did you've you're making a documentary so is there yeah. anything you want to say about that quickly for people to well, look out we'll do for
1: a Documentary about the history and the continuing influence of of You know, of the the original American rock and rollers and kind of what we spoke about today is the gist of it. You know, it doesn't have to be what the conventional thought of rockabilly is. Lammy was influenced by the original American rock and rollers. The White Stripes, influenced by the original American rock and rollers. Uh, 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 The Clash, the Sex Pistols, the Damned, the... Yeah, you other know, pretenders, the newest band from the oldest band, everyone has an influence of the original American rock and rollers. You can call it Rockabilly, you can call it rock and roll, but everyone that has come since then has been influenced by it. Absolutely. In some way. And it's still influenced.
0: Still huge,
1: Influencing everything. And it can never stop. You know, you know, it really is. You wanna talk about who you know, whoever the latest, you know, metal or punk or ska or pop or they've all been influenced on some level by Eddie Cochran and Elvis Presley and, uh, uh, everybody. So, yeah. So we, we, we the the most likely, which is also the same as the most unlikely people to, to, to share these feelings that I've had. And we've gone all over the world to do it. We've got over 40 interviews. We're close to being done. It's going to be a few big surprises
0: nice nice okay so we'll look out for that in the future um i'm definitely gonna make sure i watch that and um learn more because i it's 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 a style i i've played in a lot of blues bands some certain songs that we've kind of done some of those kind of interlinked a little bit but you know the kind of old school stuff is a lot that i don't know about and i I do need to go and check out and i know the names more than the music sure you know what i mean the names are familiar but the music i don't know as much but yeah thanks and i'm going to check out more of your stuff and um, there's a lot of it about um and yeah i'll yeah i'll uh keep in touch and let you know when this comes out and
1: in touch anytime day yeah yeah you know yeah that and me we go way way back yeah so i don't know i don't know all
0: together to- yeah that's amazing great man that's great um yeah i'll let you get on with your day um, and I'm going to go to bed. So, yeah, I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, cheers. Uh,
1: easy to find. Thanks. Yeah.
0: Dave. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye bye now. Drum for the Song Podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of Drum for the Song Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please consider liking the video and subscribing if you're watching on YouTube or subscribe and follow whatever you get your podcasts. If you could leave me a review or comment, that would be fantastic too, as it helps other people discover this show. Please also consider sharing this with any family members or friends who might enjoy the content. You can also follow me on social media at Dane underscore Drums, or at Drum for the Song, or search for Drum for the Song on Facebook to follow the page and join the official Facebook group. If you'd like to support the podcast, you could purchase some merchandise from drumforthesong.com or consider supporting me via Patreon from just £3 per month for additional exclusive content like bonus episodes, video calls with myself, competitions, discounts and much more. Any additional support is always greatly appreciated but I would like to give extra special thanks to my top tier Groovemaster patrons whose names are listed in the description below. My name is Dane Campbell and thanks so much for watching or listening this far. If you're a drummer don't forget to drum for the song!